to reconnect with Roger and Jill. I often tune in on a Sunday. Um, your service at 10 is, because of the time difference, appears about 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon back home. So uh, my service is finished in the morning. I can tune in to yours. So I keep in touch with what's happening here in Genesis and see Roger regularly as he preaches from where I'm standing now. It's absolutely a joy to see him again and Jill and to, I can't see anybody's face right now. You're sitting in the dark, but to see you is wonderful and uh, to reconnect with so many of you. Facebook is an amazing thing, isn't it? And there are people coming up to me and saying, we're friends on Facebook. I recognize the name and I see the various activities. When I came, last time I came and preached here, Roger and I were both wearing pink shirts. It just so happened, coincidentally, it wasn't collaborative. We just wore pink shirts that day. So we were looking, you know, amazingly cool. <laughs> well, at least we, we thought we were. <laughs> but this morning, you see, he's wearing a jacket. He's looking remarkably sharp this morning, as he does. I mean, he's an icon of style, isn't he? <laughs> but no Converse trainers this morning. Are they? They're not Converse, are they, this morning, Roger? Um, uh, but so I wore this. You know, I, I think he knew I was going to be wearing something a bit flash, so he wore a jacket to outshine me. <laughs> but he hasn't got one of these, you see. <laughs> and he probably wouldn't want one, to be honest, would he? <laughs> but it's always a joy, always a joy to, to see him, to spend time with him. And this has been a wonderful week for me. I flew here last Monday, going back tomorrow, and it's been a joy. This week has been so special to celebrate Thanksgiving here and to be involved in some of the things that have been happening at Genesis throughout this week has been just so wonderful. And uh, I've loved every moment of it. It's been a great week. So let's begin by reading a few verses from the Scripture. And uh, I want to read from Corinthians and um, and uh, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, just beginning at the end of chapter 10. Paul says, Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That strikes me as an utterly remarkable thing for Paul to say. The King James Version puts it like this, follow me, follow me as I follow Christ. You follow me. It's not the sort of thing that we would find ourselves saying to other people. I think you and I would probably say, follow Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Don't follow me because I get it wrong. I might fall flat on my face. If you follow me, things could go wrong for you. But follow Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So it's a remarkable thing that Paul says to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. There were all sorts of things happening in the Corinthian church. There were Judaizers who were trying to impose all the minutiae of law upon the new believers. 
And that was confusing for them. And Paul cut right through the confusion and said, look, just follow me. Scrutinize my life. See what I am doing and follow my example. And you won't go wrong. (laughs) That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Amazing that he could have the confidence to say to people, not out of some kind of self-aggrandizement or egoism, he was just saying it on the basis of the simple realization that his life was lived in God, his life was hid with Christ in God, as he said to the Colossians, he knew that his life exemplified the way of Christ. And so he was able to say with confidence to people, look, follow me as I follow Jesus. Of course, Paul always said, follow Jesus. And uh, as you read the Scripture, it becomes abundantly clear on almost every page of his letters that he was saying to people, be followers of Jesus. Follow Jesus. But he does it on this occasion by referencing himself and saying, look at my life, scrutinize my life, see who I am, see who I live, and follow me. Follow me. Well, That is a most remarkable set of circumstances, I think, a remarkable statement that he made. Um, And so he was, um, he was being an example to the others of how to live for Jesus. And in a sense, we are called to do just that, although we would never say, look, follow me. But your life does say that to people. Paul, writing later to the Corinthians, speaks of them as living letters, letters read and known of all people. And though we may not say to people, look, follow me, I can be your mentor, but our lives say something. Our lives impact the lives of others. And sometimes we are wholly unconscious of that, if you are living your life in God, if you are following Jesus, if you are a disciple of the Master, if you are following the way, then your life has an impact. The influence of your life is perhaps beyond what you would ordinarily recognize or realize. And we are therefore mentors to others. Maybe you wouldn't describe yourself as a mentor, as Paul does with such confidence in knowing himself, knowing his standing in God, and knowing his life that is to be lived in relationship with God. Perhaps we wouldn't say that, but nevertheless, unconsciously, our lives are a source of influence. Our lives exert an influence upon others and impact the lives of others. And that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing that you are mentors. You are mentors to others. And sometimes the opportunity arises for you to come alongside someone. You see the pain in their eyes. You see the hurt that they are carrying. And you're able to speak words of hope, words of encouragement, words of faith to lift them up, to lift them up. And that's being a mentor, isn't it? That's what you do when you are living like that and when you are ready and receptive, hearing from God and seeing the needs of others and reaching out to others in the love of Christ and speaking the word of hope and comfort and love that will lift them up, encourage them and cause them to go on, to go on and to keep going on. So the context of this, we can look at in maybe three ways this morning. First of all, the family. 
first of all, the family. Being a mentor within the family is so huge, hugely important and such a wonderful privilege to be a mentor within your own family. Roger and I went down to Smith Point the other day. It was a beautiful day, the bright, clear autumn sunshine. We walked along the beach and we stopped at the memorial, the memorial for TWA Flight 800, where 230 people lost their lives. You, you know the story better than I do. The, the, the flight took off from JFK. Just a few minutes later, this terrible disaster took place. And every member of the crew and every passenger was killed. And we looked at the memorial. I was really moved by how beautifully it is written, how sensitively and reflectively the words are written to memorialize the people who lost their lives on that occasion. And there is the row of flags from every nation that was involved in that terrible disaster. And then opposite the flags, there are, there are marble benches and there are words of memorial written on the benches for individuals. And the one that caught my eye said this. It said, To Daddy, forever loved, you inspired us to live fully in Jesus. And we are living memorials of your devotion to him. You inspired us to live fully in Jesus. And we are living memorials of your devotion to him. I was so moved. What a beautiful statement. He had, he had impacted his children and, and had given them such a foundation that they were able to say, you lived fully in Jesus. Now we do. Daddy, we love you. We love you because of the way that you inspired us. And we are living memorials of your devotion to the Lord. And as I read it, a little prayer came from my heart. Lord, make me somebody that can inspire others to live fully in Jesus. May I never lose that vision. To inspire others to live fully in Jesus within the context of the family and in the wider community, people that I come into contact with, people that you connect me with, may I inspire them to live fully in Jesus. What a beautiful statement and what a wonderful expression of memorial that is. I, uh, I like what Paul says to, uh, to Timothy. When he's writing to Timothy and saying, from a child you've known the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise to salvation. But he also talks to him about the fact that his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, had impacted his life. He'd observed their faith and he says, now I see in you that same faith that was first of all in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice. These two women, grandmother and mother, had laid a foundation in the heart and life of young Timothy. He knew the scriptures from a child. They'd laid a foundation of faith. They loved him. They encouraged him. They poured their 
love, their affection lavished upon him and motivated always to bring him to an understanding of the truth and to grow in grace and the knowledge of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What really pleases me is that Granny Lois gets a mention. (laughs) Isn't that good? Grandma Lois is specifically mentioned as being a means of inspiration and encouragement and mentoring to her grandson, Timothy. I like the fact that grandma gets a mention. It's the only place in the New Testament where a grandma is singled out and mentioned as a means of inspiration to her grandson. And it's a wonderful thing. She's remembered. She's immortalized in Holy Scripture, being a good and loving and faithful grandma who planted the seeds that grew into a wonderful harvest in her grandson, Timothy. It's great being a grandparent, isn't it? Some of us are. Not everybody here is, but quite a few, I guess, will be grandparents. I enjoy being a granddad. There's four in my family. There's Joe, who's 18, and then there's Jamie, who's 16, and then there's a a big gap, and there's George, who's four, and then there's Sonny, who's one. And, um, And it's such a pleasure being a granddad. I like the fact that, you know, when you were raising your children, you had to make sure that they did their homework. And you had to make sure that they ate their vegetables. And you had to make sure that their room was tidy. You get to do none of that when you're a grandparent. (laughs) You just get to do the good stuff, don't you? To play and have fun with your grandchildren. That's brilliant. I, I like that. I like that. I live in two places in the United Kingdom. I live down in Buckinghamshire near London, 17 miles from London, where I'm part of a team looking after a church. And three days a week I do that. Then the rest of the time I'm back up in South Yorkshire. So I see my little grandson who's one, Sarah's little boy, part of the week. And I see the other boys uh, at the weekend. And uh, I love that. The fact that I can connect with both on a regular basis. And uh, when I go over to to see my son and uh, his wife and the three boys, um, George, the four-year-old, will often speak to me quite quietly and conspiratorially and say, Grandpa, have you got any chocolate? (laughs) And the answer is always, yeah, I've got chocolate, George. But I don't just hand him loads of chocolate, you know. I would get into big trouble with my daughter-in-law if I was giving him chocolate while she's trying to get him to eat his vegetables. So I usually say, well, let's ask mummy when you can have it. Maybe she wants you to put it in the fridge for later. But there's always chocolate on the agenda when grandpa is around. But I hope and trust and pray that I won't just be remembered as the grandpa who was an endless supplier of chocolate, (laughs) but I may be remembered as the granddad who was always ready to show the love of Jesus and the life of Jesus in my own life so that there was some relationship of mentoring, of encouragement, of growing in faith, of imparting the love of Christ and showing the love of Christ to my grandsons. We have a privilege, don't we, to mentor. It's not just uh, that we fulfill duties and responsibilities But we are people who have known the love of God poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and then through our lives to others. And that must first and foremost include our own family members. So mentoring within the family. 
And then there's fellowship. It also impinges upon the fellowship. I like those early verses in the book of Acts where we read that all that believed were together. They committed themselves to fellowship, to the apostles' teaching and prayers. But fellowship is the thing that comes first in the list. Fellowship. It was hugely important. I don't think they got together and tolerated each other. I think they got together because they really loved being together. It was common purpose, common vision, common faith. They shared all of that together. And there was a richness and a joy in their coming together to serve God together, to worship God together, to be together, to interact together, to be the people of God, knitted in heart-linking relationship in the fellowship of love, the, the family of God, the household of faith. I think that's very clear as you read the New Testament. And I tell you something, coming here to Genesis, I see that quality of fellowship. We, Roger and I were privileged to, to share in the, you know, the uh, drive-through when folks come and pick up what they need in terms of food and supplies. And that was wonderful for me to witness. And uh, I was on sock duty. Uh, I've never done that before. It was awesome responsibility. I was really thrilled to be entrusted with the task of giving away socks. Good, high-quality socks. You could get medium, large, or extra large. And I got my little patter off, and I was delighted. And they were all pleased to get these socks. Good quality socks. And then next to me was fruit and veg. And then round the corner, just a little further around the corner, was Rose. She was the last because there's all the other things that were given away first. The main meals and the treats and the sweets. And then round the corner is Rose. And she gives away prayer. She prays with people. And it's just I caught a glimpse from time to time. out of my, I could see people were really pleased to be prayed for and she was pleased to be praying for them. That's all part of the richness of fellowship. And what thrilled me was a sense of, of united purpose, of people coming together in, in love and care and commitment to one another and love and care and commitment to the wider community. That's a beautiful thing to see and a wonderful thing to be a part of here in Genesis. I just delighted in that and enjoyed it so much. My brother-in-law, on one occasion, went on holiday to Germany. And although he wasn't a German speaker, he still went to church on the Sunday and joined with the people of God, with a different language, but still the people of God. And uh, as he listened to the service and the sermon, he heard the word Gemeinschaft, frequently used, Gemeinschaft. Are there any German speakers here this morning? Can anybody shout out what the word means if you are a German speaker? No? There aren't any. Well, you don't know whether I'm telling the truth or not then, do you? <laughs> but I, I assure you I am. So, Gemeinschaft. He thought about the word for a little while and thought, Gemeinschaft. Sounds a bit like Mineshaft. Mineshaft. And then after the service was over, he went to ask, what does the word Gemeinschaft mean? And they said it means fellowship. It means fellowship. And he thought, ah, well, Mineshaft, it's not so far out because a Mineshaft is something that goes down deep to bring up something precious. 
goes down deep to bring up something precious. And so does fellowship. Gemeinschaft, it goes down deep to bring up something precious. Something precious and valuable and enriching and life-changing. Fellowship is a wonderful reality as we link together, work together, and share together as the people of God. I... Um, Roger told me to watch out. For, oh, there it is. I'm just, I'm just checking uh, how much time I've got left. 10.43. Um, I, you have to do that to see your clock. Oh, I could, hey, when I do that, I can see you as well. Oh, 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 isn't that amazing? What a lovely bunch of people you are. <laughs> so where was I? Oh, Gemeinschaft. Yeah, fellowship. The richness of fellowship. Um, I was brought up in a little church in the northeast of England in a place called Bertley. You may have heard that name before because it was the first church that Roger went to as pastor when he left Bible College. But I was long gone. We met at Bible College and we moved away from the northeast when I was about 12. But I remember the church very vividly and I remember one character in the church called Billy Humphrey. Billy Humphrey. Everybody called him Grandad Humphrey. He was Grandad to everybody. He was Grandad to nobody in reality, but he was Grandad to everybody within the household of faith, within the fellowship of God. He was a mentor to everybody. He prayed for everybody. He loved everybody. He encouraged everybody. He exuded faith and love and encouragement to everybody. But he had an interesting story. He had been a street fighter as a young man, and he still bore the marks of his early pugilist days in his face with, with his misshapen nose and so on. But he was a wonderful man. And in those far-off days when he was a street fighter, he was a very aggressive human being. And um, one, he said himself, he said, I committed almost every crime you can think of except murder. And I went out one night to commit murder. I waited for my sworn enemy. I waited in the hedgerow because I knew he always came home that way. And I was going to kill him. I was going to kill him that night. I was dead set upon ending his life. But the remarkable thing is, and I think this was by the grace of God, the man went home a different way that night. And so Billy Humphrey was denied his opportunity of becoming a murderer, thank God. Because a few weeks later, he found his way into a little gospel church. He came in drunk, and he went out sober. <laughs> and uh, he began to shout out in the service, Tell me about Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. And he told him about Jesus. He told him about Jesus. And he met Jesus that night, and his life was utterly and permanently and wonderfully transformed. Utterly transformed. And instead of being this hard, aggressive man, he became this soft and gentle and wonderfully caring man, Grandad, Grandad Humphrey, to everyone. His favorite verse of Scripture was from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. And if you read it in the King James Version, it says this, He is able, that is Jesus, He is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by Him, seeing that He ever liveth to make intercession for them. He is able to save to the uttermost. That's a good 
King James Version word, isn't it? Uttermost, able to save to the uttermost. And he loved that verse of Scripture. And he used to say, Jesus, save me from the guttermost to the uttermost. Praise be to his name. And it was true. He had been so wonderfully transformed by God's amazing grace and became a mentor, a mentor to so many words of encouragement. And he had no education, but he was a man who exuded the love of Jesus and was always looking for opportunities to encourage people. And to me, he was Granddad Humphrey. My two granddads had checked out before I was born, so I never met them. I thought that was short of lack of, you know, lack of commitment, really, that they'd gone before I arrived. <laughs> but Grandad Humphrey fulfilled the role, and he was such an encouraging and wonderful human being. Within the fellowship, the household of faith, do good to all people, says Paul in Galatians, especially those that are of the household of faith. There are folks looking around you who can identify with, who need to see you as someone who can encourage, who can mentor, who can speak words of hope and comfort with the perception that comes with your own experience. And so many of you have such a rich and wonderful depth of experience to share with others. You've been on this way for many years, some of you. And with that comes experience and wisdom that is a resource for others as we are ready to be mentors to those who need our help and encouragement. And then the, the third context is faith. Faith. Within the context of faith. So let me just share this with you. We begin by believing, we go on by believing, and we finish by believing. We are justified by faith, the just will live by faith, and it's by faith that we grow into a blessed and living and wonderful relationship with, with God. And, uh, you know, we, we must believe in people, mustn't we? Doesn't it make a difference when you see that somebody believes in you? They're not just being nice for the sake of being nice. You can see it in their eyes. They believe in you. They believe, they believe in God. They believe in the potential that you have in God. And they believe in you, therefore. When I, when I was a teenager, I worked for a company, went to work for a company that had its head office in Leicester which is a, a, a big city in the East Midlands in the UK. And so I went to do periods of training in the head office in Leicester. And I found my way to church. It was Holy Trinity, well, Trinity Church, they called it, Upper Titchbourne Street in Assemblies of God Church. And the pastor was a man called Les Botham. And he welcomed me. He welcomed me with such open arms and it was so encouraging. And I was glad of that because I was a young man in a strange city. And uh, he came alongside me and spoke to me and, and brought encouragement to me and spoke words of faith to me. <coughs> and I could see in his eyes that he believed in me. There was something that shone out of his eyes. He believed in me. And there came a moment when he said to me, Ian, I think you've got the call of God upon your life. And maybe God is calling you to ministry. You pray about it, and I'll pray about it too. And he committed himself to praying for me. And he prayed for me every day of his life. Whenever I saw him, he would say, Ian, I'm still praying for you every day. I pray for you. Well, those are wonderful days. And then when I felt God had called me to ministry, went to Bible college where I met Roger, um, 
Les Botham contacted me and he said, I'm so thrilled that uh, you've gone to Bible college and that you are preparing for the ministry. And if the circumstances are right, maybe you'll come back to Leicester and become my assistant pastor. And I said, oh, I'd love that if that can happen. Well, in the event, I didn't go to Leicester. I went to another city because timing and circumstances changed things somewhat. But he always prayed for me every day. And whenever I saw him at a conference or at a special occasion, he made a beeline for me, asked me how I was getting on, spoke words of encouragement and uh, words of faith, faith-building words uh, to me. Well, a few years later, I wrote a series of articles for a magazine called Aflame. The name of the editor you might have heard His name was Roger Blackmore. It was a national magazine, youth magazine, and Roger was the editor. So he got me to write these articles. And I knew they were a little bit controversial, but um, he never shied away from controversy. I wrote them. He published them. And although he doesn't seek controversy, I've never known him to shy away from it in his life. Um, So there they were, published. And I got a letter from Les Botham. And it said, Ian, I am so disappointed, so disappointed in what you've written. I'm so disappointed that you've taken this particular stand. And uh, I've got to tell you, I am disappointed in you. And uh, I thought better of you. I thought you would have a better grasp of, of the theological issues involved than you have. And I, I just want to say, I hope you find your way out of that particular mindset and uh, sort yourself out. Signed, Les Botham. My heart sunk. I thought, oh my goodness. I really upset him with these articles. I hope I can see him one day soon and uh, try to repair the breach. Well, I got that letter on a Saturday morning. So I went to church, a bit heavy-hearted on the Sunday, thinking about that. And the woman who knew him, because her daughter and son-in-law were in the church there, she said to me, have you heard what's happened to Les Botham? So I said, no, what? She said, he died yesterday. Oh, my goodness. I felt saddened for two reasons. Obviously, because of the death of Les Botham, but because of the last thing that he ever said to me was rebuke and reproving and criticism. And I thought, well, nothing I can do. I have to carry that with me now into the future. However, something extraordinary happened. That was the Sunday, the Monday morning. I came downstairs. And we used to write letters in those days. You know, there was no email. There was no FaceTime. There was nothing. Just, just snail mail, letters. Actually, it was fairly quick and efficient because it arrived the next day if you wrote a letter. And there on the top of the pile of letters that was already there was the familiar scroll of Les Botham's handwriting. I was shocked. The man's dead. I've got a letter from him. I opened the letter and it said this. He said, Ian, I wrote you a letter. I should never have written it. I realize that you are a man with your own integrity. You're not the teenager that I first met in Leicester. You have grown in God, and you've grown in your own understanding. I recognize that. I recognize that. Keep doing what you're doing. I was wrong. 
forgive me. Let's both them. Wasn't that amazing? He was being a mentor to me right to the end of his life. I saw his son-in-law a few weeks later. His son-in-law, I told his son-in-law the story. Oh, yes, he said. He was sitting under a tree in the sunshine writing letters. He finished the last letter, put it ready for the post, and then he had a massive heart attack, a coronary, and died and died. So the very last thing he did was to write me that letter, a letter from the dead, it seemed like to me. And that's an extraordinary experience, isn't it? To hear that voice, as it were, speaking from eternity, where he now was, but speaking so beautifully, so clearly, and so lovingly to me, who he mentored to the last moment of his life. So listen, within the context of the faith, there are people that you meet and you see, and you can be inspired to believe in them. You see something in them that has huge potential. Maybe God will speak to you to bring out that potential, to speak words of encouragement and life and love that that person may feel wonderfully affirmed and go on to serve the living God and go on to honor the Lord in their lives. You have a role to play. Think about it. Pray about it. What can I do? Who can I speak to? Who can I be a means of encouragement to in my life, Lord, as I seek to be a faithful disciple of Jesus? And so, Paul says, be a follower of me, even as I am of Christ. And our lives do say that to others. Yes, we say, follow Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's right. But our lives speak. Our lives influence our lives, impact. May we be those who inspire others to live fully in Jesus. May that be our heart's cry and may that be our mission and our ministry as we serve God together. We can all do that. We can all be that. Let's pray.